read again from uh, Psalm 96. Psalm 96. O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be revered above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord is king. The world is firmly established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. This is the word of the Lord. Someone on our library staff, I'm not sure who it is, has supplied us with a wonderful eschatological sermon illustration. In an attempt to describe their current situation, they've put up posters. The posters have this big title, Already But Not Yet. (laughs) That is the status not only of our library, but of our whole campus. We have been granted this wonderful gift in God's providence. We get to be a living parable of the kingdom of God. Thanks a lot. We are finally here together on the new campus. We are already enjoying this beautiful setting, the grass, the trees, the river, this amazing chapel. But it is not yet what we hope and believe it will be. That is quite obvious at the moment as we go about our daily business and we see people with hard hats walking around and we hear jackhammers and we uh, see uh, dirt piled up outside and some of us don't even have offices yet. We are enjoying this wonderful new place, at least I hope we are, I am enjoying it. But we are eagerly looking forward to the day when the last eastern construction person will leave out the driveway. Or further in the future, we maybe are looking forward to the day when we will once again be able to roam freely among the library stacks. Not all of you take great delight in wandering among the library stacks, but some of us do. We are truly living in the time between the times. 
A new era for Tyndale has begun. It has been inaugurated, but as of yet, we are just tasting the first fruits. Sing to the Lord a new song. You sing a new song for a new day. God's work is being renewed in the midst of his people. You sing a new song in a time of new possibilities and new horizons. Psalm 96 is that kind of song, a song of great joy and celebration. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. We actually have within the Bible itself a record of a particular time when this psalm was used. It's found in 1 Chronicles chapter 16. It tells the story of the day when David brought the ark back to Jerusalem. This was a moment of great triumph and celebration for the people of Israel. The ark had been neglected during the reign of Saul, and David wanted to bring it to Jerusalem and reestablish the worship practices that God had commanded at Sinai. And after a long struggle, Israel now has its godly king in David, and he is establishing right worship at the center of Israel's life. So they have a great festival, and they all wore fine clothing, and they had processions and singers and dancers, and yes, even David danced before the ark, although his wife thought he embarrassed himself. And on that day, one of the psalms they sang, according to First Chronicles 16, was this psalm. So it's entirely fitting that the song begins, sing to the Lord a new song. It was a new day. They were entering into a new time, a new era of hope. They needed a new song for a new day, a new orientation as the people turned their hearts back to the Lord and away from idolatry. As it goes on, for great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. The gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. The psalmist goes on to invite not only the people of Israel, but all people and all nations to join in the song and bow down and worship. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. But it goes further. Even a choir of all nations of the world is not enough to do justice to this new song. Creation itself, the heavens and the earth, are called upon to join in a great symphony of praise. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound in all that is in it, let the fields be jubilant in everything in them. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. And it's not uncommon for the Psalms to speak of creation praising the Lord. Psalm 148, for example, could be seen as an extended version of those two verses that I just read, recounting all sorts of different creatures in heaven and on earth and calling upon them to praise their Creator. But what does that mean? How does a tree sing? Trees do not have voices unless you're in Narnia or Middle Earth. But from a biblical perspective, each creature brings glory to its creator when it thrives according to its God-given nature. 
In other words, a tree praises God by being a tree, by flourishing as God intended trees to flourish, by putting down deep roots and spreading out its branches wide and bringing forth rich foliage. Every creature reflects the glory of its creator in the particular way that God intended it to do. And no one creature can adequately reflect God's glory. So we have this manifold witness of all nature, as the hymn writer says, a great and marvelous symphony of praise that brings glory to God. And creation's symphony is glorious indeed. And the day when David brought the ark back to Jerusalem would have been one of those days when it was not difficult to imagine even the trees singing for joy. But the days of David, the glory days, were short-lived. His son Solomon starts out well, but he did not follow the ways of his father. The wheels started to come off very quickly as both king and people turned away from having the true God at the center of their life and worship, and they began to worship idols and disregard the law of God. And we know that eventually they were conquered and carried off into captivity, and I don't know how often they sang Psalm 96 during those days. It might have been difficult to do so. But there is actually evidence that they sang it again when the Lord, in his mercy, brought them back from captivity. In the Septuagint, there's an inscription over this psalm. And it says, when the house was built after the captivity. So we have another context for reading this psalm, another uh, context in which to hear it during the rebuilding of the temple after it had been destroyed. The story is told in the book of Ezra chapter 3, of course. And some brave leaders return to Jerusalem. They begin to reestablish worship at the temple, just as David had reestablished worship by bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. And Ezra tells us that when the foundation stone of the new temple was laid, a great shout of praise went up from the people. Sing to the Lord a new song. But he also tells us that the older people who could remember the once magnificent temple of Solomon could not help but weep aloud in grief over its destruction. Now, thinking of the psalm in that context gives us another window into its meaning. It's not only a celebration of victory, it's a celebration of God putting things right again. A celebration of restoration. Their world had been turned upside down. Everything they cared for had been taken away from them, but now they were laying the foundation for a new life. And again, a new song was needed for this new day and this new era, but they still had a long way to go. And that brings us back to those final verses at the end of the psalm. It's not too strange for the Bible to speak about creation praising God, but it is the reason for the celebration mentioned at the very end that might strike us as a bit odd. All the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness 
and the peoples with truth. Why such joy and celebration at the prospect of judgment? Well, Western Christians tend to think of judgment in terms of guilt. And therefore, when we think of God's coming judgment, we think of God punishing the guilty. And maybe that scares us sometimes. But that is only one narrow aspect of God's judgment. And C.S. Lewis, in his book, Reflections on the Psalms, you know, he's thinking about this issue, and he writes this. The ancient Jews, like ourselves, think of God's judgment in terms of an earthly court of justice. The difference is that the Christian pictures the case to be tried as a criminal case with himself in the dock. The Jew pictures it as a civil case with himself as the plaintiff. The one hopes for acquittal or rather for pardon. The other hopes for a resounding triumph with the heavy damages. So judgment can be a good thing. It can mean vindication when you've been wronged. It can mean, and if the verdict turns out in your favor. And what we need to keep in mind when we think of God's judgment, that it's not only about God deciding the fate of individual souls, it's about God establishing his kingdom. It's about a new heavens and a new earth where everything will be set right. War and famine and disease and sickness and poverty will be no more. That is what judgment means, God dwelling in the midst of his people and all creation flourishing under his just and faithful reign. The people of Ezra's day were rejoicing because they could see that things were moving towards that future day when things would be set right again. You see, when you live in a time of injustice, you look forward to the judgment day. When you live as captives in a foreign land, deprived of your liberty, you long for judgment. When you live in a world where children are abused and the poor are oppressed and people are sold into slavery, you look forward to the judgment day. You live in a world where cancer and Alzheimer's and mental illness wreak havoc on people's lives. You look forward for, to the day when things will be set right. And yes, as Romans 8 tells us, even creation itself is groaning as it waits for the sons of God to be revealed on the last day because the sinful times in which we live include sins of disregard for the goodness of creation. While we are called to be stewards, we are sometimes guilty of muting and muzzling the manifold witness of God's creatures. All people and all creation flourish under righteous rule. All people and all creatures suffer under unrighteous rule. So yes, let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad. The sea and the fields, and yes, even the trees, let them sing for joy at the coming of the righteous judge who will set all things right and make all things new. So it is biblically quite sound to talk about the song of creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. And already, already we hear that glorious sound, right, all around us. It was that already beautiful song of creation that inspired Augustine 
to write these words. Question the beauty of the earth. Question the beauty of the sea. Question the beauty of the air amply spread around everywhere. Question the beauty of the sky. Question the serried ranks of the stars. Question the sun making the day glorious with its bright beams. Question the moon tempering the darkness of the following night with its shining rays. Question the animals that move in the waters, that amble about on dry land, that fly in the air. They all answer you. Here we are. Look, we are beautiful. And their beauty is their confession. Who made these beautiful, changeable things, if not the one who is beautiful and unchangeable? And I would extend that thought, although somewhat cautiously, to include those beautiful things that humanity has created as part of our God-given mandate to fill the earth and subdue it and cultivate it. God created this beautiful world which praises him and brings glory to him, but amazingly he gave us this role to play. As Psalm 8 says, he made us rulers over the works of his hands, putting everything under our feet. And so we left this beautiful world open to our development. And we've often made a mess of it. But sometimes we make beautiful things too. And they, in a fragmentary way, can give glory to the beautiful one who is the source of all beauty. So I say, we can enjoy the best of human culture and human civilization as part of this created order which God has made, not naively, not uncritically, not without reference to the gospel as the ultimate arbiter of all truth and goodness and beauty, but yes, we can enjoy it. We can enjoy the best of art and music and literature and food. I like to enjoy that most glorious of human culinary innovations, the hamburger. I've got hamburgers on my mind because one of the students in my class, I'm in a cl teaching a class on creation and new creation, and yesterday one of the students in my class suggested that there might not be any hamburgers in the new creation. I'm a bit worried about that. <laughs> but I'm going to enjoy them in the meantime. One more excuse. How many of you have been to the Burgers Priest? Right. Yes, you know what I'm talking about. It's glorious, isn't it? It's glorious. There's no other word for it. Now, if you think that's a silly example, then consider the room that we are gathered in. Now, most of us in the room would not build a chapel like this. I know we've got a few Anglicans here, so maybe you would build a chapel like this. Most of the rest of us would not build a chapel like this. We're Protestants. We favor the audible over the visual because we want to be people of the Word. We want our worship to be focused on the Word. It's focused on hearing. Hearing God speak, responding to His call. And so our places of worship are very plain. We don't have statues, stained glass, these sorts of things for the most part. 
But having said that, okay, yes, we would not have built a place like this. But still, isn't it a glorious place? Isn't it beautiful? Doesn't it inspire awe and wonder? It is an example of humanity cultivating creation in a way that is intended to bring glory to the Creator. And I'm quite sure that the people who designed and built this place, the artists, the architects, that is what they intended, to bring glory to God. That we humans, we can actually add something to the beautiful and glorious song of creation by using the creative gifts that God has given us for his glory. Now, if we just came in here and we sat down and we just looked around and admired things and, and then left and called that worship, I would be concerned. But this is a great gift to us because we can still have worship that is very centered on the word and yet we can do it in this beautiful place. That can be a powerful combination. The song of creation that we already hear is beautiful. And this place, not only this chapel, but this property, I would say it places us closer to the orchestra pit so we can better appreciate creation's praise of its creator. But this song that we hear and enjoy already, glorious as it may be, is not yet what it will be. The song is mixed with groans and sighs and longings for the new creation. And we cannot write the song of the new creation that is coming on the day of judgment, when all things will be set right. But as people created in the image of God, called to be stewards of God's creation, renewed after the image of Christ, who is the fulfillment of the image of God, the pioneer and the perfecter of the new humanity. We, even now, we are called to a renewed stewardship of creation. And if sinful humanity has at times muted and muzzled creation, we in the renewing power of the Spirit are called upon to magnify the manifold witness of all nature, to turn up the volume on creation's symphony of praise. Even as we await the day when all things will be gathered under one head, Christ the coming judge, and all creation will ring out with a new song that we cannot yet fathom. Amen.